Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. I have a legendary chili dog with me. No legendary birds. Yay. They are at Paws, at Barb's place. So, because I am leaving in the morning. Well, when I'm recording this, which is uh, two weeks ago, I'm leaving tomorrow morning for Mexico and the Baja 1000. Um, our truck, I don't know why I say our truck, but uh, 57 is not running. It's in about a bazillion pieces being getting a total rebuild. But we will be down there with the uh, 37L and Campbell Racing in their truck. So I will be busy and posting a bunch of stuff and you can see it. Um, heck, I might even put links. No, that'll be afterwards. Um, yeah, go to my Facebook page. You'll figure it out there. So, um, our special Thanksgiving episode. Um, some of you know what that means. Some of you who are new may not. So enjoy. Uh, kind of a, I hesitate to say a special guest because all guests are special, but damn, I really like Jason. I mean, if I made top ten lists, various things, people, things they do, cool stuff, I think he'd be in most of them. So, anyway, I, uh, I don't know when Jason and I met. We've been, I think, maybe, who knows? Anyway, I really, let's just, I like Jason. I like his races. I like the way he races. Always thinking outside the box. Um a lot of things we talk about. There's some things we can't talk about. So um, enjoy and uh, have some uh, turkey tomorrow. This is one of those things where I'm actually recording this two weeks ago and you're hearing it now. And tomorrow's saying, anyway, um, all right, <clears throat> go fast, take chances. Uh, thanks for listening. And let's say holla. Hello. Jason, it's you. How's it going, Andy? Ah, uh, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty darn good. Just, you know, crazy, crazy busy with two kids. Uh, yeah, so are two kids twice as much work or four times as much work? I'm just going to say they're they're four times <laughs> as much fun. Okay. And, you know, but, but I also think it's okay to work to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> so... So how I mean how is it is it as is it as great as you figured? It is yeah. Being a parent is is pretty pretty amazing and and in ways that I never really imagined. It's hard to actually remember what it was like when I wasn't a parent. <laughs> um, so um, but yeah, it's, you know Max is now almost three and and you know, running and wrestling and and trying to race a little little strider bike and and so much fun yeah. um and Neville's finally getting to the point where he can you know smile and and start to play a little bit so it's definitely busy yeah. um you know lots of scheduling and, and lots of short little um outdoor time so yeah very cool so is it really true what they all say that it just completely changes you and there's you know it, there's just when you see that that baby that you know, you immediately would do anything. I mean, are all those yeah, I mean, all those cliches true? Yeah, except that that I think a lot of times they're used um, 
not necessarily in a negative way. We just heard a lot about how much, you know, good thing you did, all the things you wanted to when you were young because you're not going to be able to do any of that. Um, and that's the part I don't think is true. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes work, but to me it's, you know, to Chelsea and I, it's really invigorated um, and, and clarified who we are, what our passions are, how important they are, um, and how we want to raise our kids with them seeing us mm-hmm. as incredibly vibrant um, and passionate people. Yeah. And so – it is like I, you know, like it's it's the best thing ever to have kids and to watch them and to see them react to you and and to remember how fun it is to sit and play with cars. Like I actually like sometimes pick up my, you know, the little monster Hot Wheels car when Max isn't even around and just start driving it around. It's fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it is it is pretty amazing to see them and and the way they look at you and the way they look at at everything. You know, you go on a walk from my house to Dan's house, which is like 300 yards, not even, no, 300 feet, so like 100 yards, and Max will find a, a thousand reasons to stop, you know, look at the grass or pick up this rock or just all kinds of things. And, you know, I've walked that, that path between our two houses, you know, thousands of times in the last eight years, and it's pretty cool to walk with him yeah. and see the fascination. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like on his first uh, expedition race. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's scheduled for what twenty thirty two, something like that. Yeah. So, so have you um, bought Max? Uh, how do I want to put this? Well, let's, I'll put it this way. So, my dad bought me a an HO train set when I was four years old. Bought me. <laughs> right. So, uh, what have what have you bought for for Max in quotation marks? <laughs> yeah, Max. Um, Max gets a lot of uh, fun stuff. Luckily, um, Mama uh, Mama Chelsea is is pretty actively engaged with uh, the Gear Junkie website and and reviewing and writing and and especially covering the like the the parenting mm-hmm. part of it. So. Max gets to test a lot of gear. He doesn't know it, but if he turns into an outdoor kid and loves all this stuff, he's going to look back and see all these photos of him in, in like some pretty, pretty amazing high end stuff that I, I don't know, you know, why you would ever spend 200 bucks on a, on a kid's, you know, whatever Patagonia jacket, but he gets to wear one and he loves it. Uh, So he, he has more like, He's a better adventure racing kit than I do right now. <laughs> yeah, um, you didn't see that one coming, did you? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I wish I can't wait till he gets a little bit bigger and I can borrow stuff from him. There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. well, and let's face it, it won't, probably won't be that long because you're not you're no. not a giant. Well, you're a giant among he's men, not. but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, he's growing. He's growing fast, but he's got like it's been really fun. I think our favorite thing is. That we have this, it's the Mack ride, so it's like this little seat that mounts to the front of my mountain bike, just behind the handlebars. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't strap in at all. He just sits on the seat and holds onto the handlebars and has his own little pedals. And so we ride, you know, pretty, you know, decently technical single track uh, loops. And he's learning to like stand up when we go over the bumps. And and you know, I can put on my full suspension bike. It's really easy, and it just lets us ride together. Um, so. I, I have been looking around, and, and I'm sure at some point he might actually do his first adventure race in the next year or two because I'm his parent, so I can sign a waiver. And then, yeah. you know, Kelsey, Dan, and Max can be a four-person team somewhere, and he can just ride on my 
you know, ride on my handlebars for the whole thing. That uh, would be ultimately cool. Yeah. So do you um, – don't don't worry, people. We'll get to adventure racing eventually, but um, – Parenting is kind of adventure racing too. Yeah. Do people reach out to you and, and ask you how you're doing it, like other people with little kids or – are you becoming a uh, go-to person for that? Yeah, I mean, I I think I am behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like Chelsea gets that question a lot yeah. because she she has her um, endurance mama blog and does a lot of writing in Gear Junkie, which is about still being an athlete and still being an outdoor adventure with kids. Yeah, and so she's writing a whole bunch of articles on that and, and being interviewed for different um, different media outlets and, and sources and. You know, honestly, it's it's kind of fun because she'll get something and then we'll talk about it, or she'll ask me. Um, I've been you know I've been thinking about this kind of stuff long before I was a parent. I was lucky that my twin brother had kids, and he really struggled with it at the beginning, and and kind of still does in making the time. And so I got to watch a lot of that and see what a lot of his solutions were, and and really just be inspired in that it was possible. And I, I'm especially lucky because I have a partner that is equally invested in making it happen. Yeah. Um, and, and really it, it is, it's just, you know, the advice that we give a lot is to, you know, to ask yourself the question of, of what you want your kids to remember about you when they're growing up. Mm-hmm. Like so often we think about like, Oh, we got to give our kids security and, and, you know, food and the best schooling and all that stuff. But that's none of that is, you know, I think about, growing up and none of that's what I remember. Right. Yeah. I remember what kind of people my parents were. Mm-hmm. Right. That, mm-hmm. that ultimately that's what I remember. And so when we make that our, our litmus test for the decisions we're making, then it's, it's a very different game. Right. Yeah. Um, we're willing to, to do all these things because we know the impact and the impression that we, you know, that we truly hope that it has on our kids seeing us grow up really happy, fulfilled, and passionate people that are still chasing our dreams even when we have kids. Yeah, very good. And it's hard. Like, yeah. It's a lot of freaking work. Like, <laughs> you know, going, going to Eco Challenge and going to race Patagonia, the two of us, in November when um, when Max was, like, not quite two. Yeah. Like, that it takes a lot of, of work, and, and there's some pain and and loneliness and, and stuff in there, but it's also worth it when we when we come home and we get to tell them about it. So, yeah, I suppose it's yeah, it's real hard to go, but um, is it is it harder to go? Oh, let's see, how do I want to phrase this? Is the emotion going worse than the than the fun emotion of coming home? Does, you know what I mean? Luckily, I think um, we, you know, the things that we're going for are things that we're super passionate about, and also, you know, as you know, you've been in the racing scene for a long time that that it, it becomes pretty all-consuming, Yeah. right? There will be really, like when we went to Patagonia, we normally we go early and, and we do some training and acclimatizing this, this last uh, year in 2019 or 2018. We didn't, um, and we just basically went, had a day or two, um, got more sleep than we'd gotten in two years, which is the bonus, right? Because we don't <laughs> yeah. have a little bit of up all night. And then... Um, we were really, really focused. And I will say the one thing that, that racing with kids has done is, 
you know, I don't know if you can curse on your show, but we don't fuck around anymore. Yeah. Like we, we go to, to win or we go to be as competitive as you can. We, it's, it's business. We love it when we're out there. Um, but it's, it's time. So we're not, you know, we're not going to race to kind of see what it's like and, and maybe finish or, or, you know, that's all part of it. Yeah. We've been in this long enough, but, but we, we plan our races. We train hard for them now. Um, and we, you know, very concisely and, and we go to win. And then that, because that's what we want to do in the sport right now. Yeah. Right. We, you know, I've done over a hundred expedition races and I'm fascinated with seeing how it's possible to get, better you know in my body and with my team yeah but you were kind of that way before the kids weren't you though really i mean you you guys didn't go just because it looked like a cool spot you went to be competitive yes yeah we totally went to be competitive and i think you know i think the, the funny thing is now that once we get into the race we have this extra motivation really it's, it's not about how we do mm-hmm. in the race it's, um, you know, we talk about it. We're like, well, I'm racing fast so I can get home to my, my kids faster, yeah. um, which is great because yeah. it also improves your chances of doing well in the race. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we've always been, uh, you know, really competitive. It's, it's, it's kind of nice now, though, because we have less time to train. So we're really – we're actually becoming better athletes the more focused we have to become to still compete at a high level. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's less time for like leisurely awesome two, three, four hour mountain bike rides. It's a lot of interval training. It's a lot of very specific stuff that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and and it's been, it's been paying off. You know, working working the skills and we've also been racing a long time. So if we put the right team together with the right motivations, um, then then we tend to do pretty well. Yeah. Like Patagonia was a great example. Like we. You know, Kelsey basically told me leading up to the race, we were about to take, you know, almost three weeks away from our, our, you know, one, one and eight, you know, one year, eight month old little boy. And, you know, she flat out said, I only want to go if we're going to win. <laughs> and she was, okay. So no pressure let's, there. <laughs> let's do that, you know, and she's like, we can win. And that's what we should go to do because then it's, then it's worth, you know, yeah. it's not a new race for us. We've been five times. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of fun having that conversation with, with Alex and Lars, the guys we were racing with. And, and, you know, they, I think they both felt the pressure some because that was their first time racing or that was Lars's first time racing with us and racing with Chelsea. And she was like, you know, I have a little boy at home that I miss like crazy and I'm here to win this thing. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> Using a little mother's guilt on your teammates is not a bad thing. Oh, totally, and, and and she was fired up the the whole the whole race, which was great. So. Um, and you know, and, and she had some pretty amazing moments where where we'd be out there, and and uh, I think she, I don't know, she says that she knew that uh, that we were going to win like the night before the race. Like she, you know, I'm not super into like the 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 visions and and spiritual stuff as much as she is, but she she literally. Um, you know, we're, we're, we can't sleep. It's the night before the race. We're about to get on a bus at 3 a.m. or whatever it is. And we're laying there. She's like, you know, I feel it. Spirit, our, we, we lost one of our, our twin boys at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about spirit. Yeah. And he's spirit being, we see him out in, in a lot of places. And, and she's like, spirit said that, you know, we're going to have a great race. We're going to win and, and we should celebrate. And 
So that's actually when Rebel was conceived, which was the night before the Patagonia expedition race, <laughs> um, because she said that she knew that we were going to win, um, which is, you know, it's still kind of crazy, even though I experienced this whole thing. Yeah. And then three days into the race, she stopped the whole team and said, hey, just so you guys know, I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, what? A little, you know, spirit came and told me, and, and sure enough, you know, we got we got back and and you know, five days later, we confirmed it, and and uh, it was it was a pretty amazing all around experience. It was kind of a, a big culmination of of this shift into parenthood and and dealing with the loss of spirit and just you know, to me, adventure racing is has always been more than the competition, mm-hmm. um, even though that's part of what makes it special, um, and. You know, it was, it was a great thing to be there with my wife and, and two amazing teammates and, um, you know, still be inspired by the sport that I've been doing, you know, for a long time. Yeah, that's very um, – yeah, I mean, Charles talked a little bit about that last time we talked, so mm-hmm. it's very cool. Um, all right, so I'm, we're going to get there, but um, do you – I want to I wanna go the other generation. Do you have anything – that you find yourself like a specific thing that when you're doing it, you say, Oh, I learned that from my dad. And, and do you, you know, obviously that's going to pass on down, but, um, yeah. Um, I, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's, uh, both, there's both things. Like initially when you say that, it's funny. Cause I think in the adventure racing world, I think there's more that I learned from my mom. Really? Um, from my dad, I learned, like, my dad is very analytical. He's he's a thinker. He's a, a discusser. He's, you know, he would have been, you know, a great navigator. He likes to think that way. He likes to solve problems. Um, and, you know, he's also very calm. Um, and so those are, those are great qualities that I've, I've learned from him, um, and just how to communicate and how to think and how to talk. Um, talk to people and use people around me to solve problems. So that's all, all big assets. And then my mom is, she's the one that just really never, never shies away from any, any obstacle or any challenge. Um, and, and, you know, she was not into any sort of athletics, but she ran an antique shop um, and loved antiques and crafts and all that stuff. And she would, it wasn't her. It wasn't about selling things and, and making money. It was about like decorating. Like she would turn her shop into like this amazing primitive, you know, cabin with with all. You know, it's like so people would come into it just as much for the experience, like stepping into a uh, a theme park of antiques. And she would redo the shop like for Halloween, and then she would shut the shop down for four days. And go into it and work nonstop, like literally 22 hours a day, sleeping on the floor, like taking everything out of the shop and bringing all new stuff in from the storage sheds and completely redecorating and having this opening for Thanksgiving. And then three weeks later, she would completely shut down for four more days, work nonstop, and do it for Christmas. It was like it was basically she was doing an antique decorating adventure. <laughs> And as a kid, I was like, it was insane. Like, he was sleep deprived. She was probably hallucinating. Like, we'd go in to help her sometimes, and she hadn't slept for 36 hours. Wow. And she's still, like, moving stuff around. Um, and I never really thought anything about that except that she was nuts <laughs> until I got into this sport. And like, my dad could not function like that. Yeah. He was not helpful at all in those situations. Um, 
without sleep and without all that. But my mom was just thrived on that kind of intensity, like having a mission and having a time crunch and just having to keep going until you got it done. Um, so, you know, I, I think that my mom is, is those are the endurance genes um, that I discovered and, and fell in love with. Those come from her. Yeah. Um, and my dad just lets me be a good captain. Yeah. Kind of solve the problem. All right. Well, that uh, starts to explain um, you guys a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, do you can you tell yet, or um, who who do you think the kids are going to take after more? Um, it's you know <laughs> the okay. okay here, maybe here's a better question: Who should they take after? Which one should they take after? <laughs> I mean, we, and I, would both agree that we both have qualities that we would love the kids to have. Mm-hmm. Like, there are plenty of qualities she has that I would love them to have. Um, that I, that, you know, that, that I think are better than some of my qualities and, and vice versa. Um, Chelsea definitely has more of a temper than I do. Yeah. So it'd be nice if, uh, um, she, she gets pretty feisty. Um, but she's also, uh, like when she sets her mind out to do something, she's, a, she acts pretty quickly. I, I could be one of the world's biggest procrastinators. Um, and, you know, I sit around and think about things for a long time before I do them. So, um, you know, they're like we we just really uh, want want the kids to, to to have the freedom to kind of uh, look at what we're doing and and us to be true to who we are and what we want to be and and that kind of thing and that's the kind of thing we'd like them to take. Uh, right now, you know, Max loves wrestling. He loves you know he loves getting dirty and he loves playing with his little toy trucks. Um, you know, and he's just a, a a really fun kid. He talks a lot. He explains things, and um, I would love it for them to be as into the outdoors as either of us are. But yeah, you know, I'm also prepared for you know him to want to play the cello and and uh, you know like like hang out um, and do do indoor stuff. So we'll we'll just kind of see. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's very weird. You mentioned the cello, and we won't go into it now, but. Sometime when we got a half hour, I, I got a, I got a story for you. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's not the doorbell going off; it's my phone behind yeah. me. Because okay. no I'm worries. I'm so professional, it's like I don't have to yeah. turn off a phone. Um, okay. All right. Enough of kids talk. Except we'll probably get back there. Um, so we can't talk about it. Can I ask you one question? Were you satisfied with uh, the big race that nobody can talk about? Um. Yeah, I you know like it was it was amazing to to be part of it mm-hmm. because that's what got me into the sport. Yeah. I, you know, I was not an endurance racer. I was a I was a you know professional rock climber and doing ex- rock climbing expeditions and all that stuff. And then just saw. I mean, I, I vividly remember seeing. I, I don't even remember what year it was, but seeing one of the episodes probably in like the late nineties on TV and seeing this this team whining about something like just just totally whining about it and like throwing them out like basically having a, a tantrum in the middle of this thing and as a as a climber that had done all these expeditions i was like what is wrong with these people right yeah. like what what do they think is going to happen like expeditions are hard right yeah. um and you know my dad turning to me because we were watching it i was probably 19 or 20 he was like you guys should do that you'd be really good at that and we were so into climbing and you know had no interest in that and and honestly i remember watching it saying like most of those people don't have any business doing that 
because a lot of the old ecos, like people didn't know what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was it was really an honor to 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 be able to be there and and be a part of the the rebirth of that kind of level of racing, mm-hmm. um, as far as production goes. Yeah. And it was like I'll just say I was very very satisfied. Like it was it was an amazing event and an amazing course and you know to for what it's worth I think that the unnamed event also learned how much adventure racing has grown mm. in the the 15 year absence or you know since they've been away yeah so um you know back back in the day when I was watching these things on TV they would introduce people you know in in the in a program as oh this person was a kayaker or this person was a rock climber or this person was a you know, mountaineer, and now they're doing this thing. And what I think has happened in the last 15 years is now you have a, a huge number of teams that aren't any of those things. Yeah. They're just adventurers. Yeah. yeah. Right? And that didn't really exist in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, and so the sport, the sport has changed in the sense that that if, if we want to make something and call something the, you know, the hardest whatever – like you know, we gotta we gotta do some more work. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if if that's if that's really what somebody wants to do, I know, and and I don't know that that's even uh, a fair thing to say because every race is is has its own objective difficulties and and can be more difficult in a lot of ways. Um, even even if just the logistics stuff, it can make the race really difficult. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was you know really really amazing. I I hope for the sport's sake that that it continues and that it's successful and that it, it gets a lot of people to see what I think is clearly the most amazing and and difficult like um, team event in the world. Yeah. Very. Yeah. That's uh, fingers crossed, right? Yeah. yeah fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, so as a a racer of the unnamed race, I just kind of like saying it like that. Yeah. Um, have have you guys been told anything? Do we know any time like when the hell is it going to be on t- online? I mean, <laughs> honestly, I can't I can't even remember if we finished. Um, <laughs> like we we've talked about it so little yeah. um, that that it's you know normally you come back from a race and like. You get to relive. You get to see the yeah. photos. You get to like look at the tracking. You get to see all the Facebook posts, and you get to tell all your friends about it and your sponsors and whatever, right? And none of that. <laughs> so, literally, yeah. you know, um, like it's it's it, it's almost strangely forgotten. You know, like we were really excited. We came back, and then you're like, oh yeah, we were gone, but we can't tell you yeah. why or what or except that obviously we're live, um, but. But you know, yeah. Well, you know, and, and, I'm, yeah. I'm excited, to, I'm excited to see it because then it will, then I will remember all the things that I forgot. Yeah. Well, it is very interesting because, um, yeah, there was a little buzz when you guys all came home. You know, there's stuff from there, and you know, just yeah. And it it, I think almost everybody's just kind of willed themselves to forget about it so they can wait. So when we see it, we're all gonna say, "Oh yeah, oh right, I'm really excited and, now." You know, it's hard to, like, even, you know, the funny thing is, you know, like, how, you also don't know how and what parts of it are going to be covered. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, you know, you all have your own experience, but I know from watching, you know, 
Primal Quest and other shows that are televised in the past, like they're only telling a couple of stories, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you get to have your own experiences and, and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see like what, what stories get told. Yeah. And, and also I'm excited to see things that, that were happening completely other places, right? And, yeah. and, so, you know, to see, like, to watch something and, and see if I actually recognize, like, oh, yeah, that's that's a race that I did. Or, like, whoa, that's a totally different experience. So, um, yeah. So. That's, that's, yeah, that'll, I'm sure, yeah, you just, because you'll say, well, why did they go that way? Why didn't we go that way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it, it is really interesting not to be able to, like, look at, yeah. look at tracking or look at, you know, like, you know, figure out, oh, the, you know, these things happened or the, the, these mistakes were made. We don't have any of that, which we're so used to having that data and that commentary from from the guys out there doing it online, like you and, and Craig and, you know, all the, all the AR Live stuff. It's pretty neat to be able to look back and um, diagnose yeah. the rate. And now, it's like in my memory, it's, you know, it's already been a while. Um, you know, close to two months, and, and you're just kind of like, yeah. that's a, that's a long time when you can't really reaffirm whether it was reality because there's a lot of sleep deprivation too. Yeah, it would be very cool is when they if they when they drop the episodes if they bring you know set up the website with the tracking. So right, that would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it'll be cool. But I, you know, I have a lot of hope for you know more more production and more. Because you know all of us that are in it that have still been doing this for a long time and that love this sport recognize how special it is, and it's you know we definitely there was a heyday when more you could you could say hey I'm an adventure racer and people were like oh that's this thing yeah right and now we've kind of gone long enough without anything being mainstream that that nobody knows what it is or, or not many people yeah um, and you know I, I I'm excited for like maybe America and, and Europe to be back at the place where New Zealand is where, and I remember racing God's Zone in New Zealand, like walking into some random grocery store in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, you're on vacation. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to do God's Zone. And everybody knows what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I experienced that on the media side, you know, you walk in with your, you know, your race shirt on and, and it, they know what you, what it is. I mean, it's like, right. God, how cool is that? So, right. And everybody knows what, what that is. And, and, Maybe they haven't done it, but everybody's thought about doing it or know somebody that's done it, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a you know it's a national phenomenon yeah. um, this race, and who knows you know maybe maybe we can get back towards that with some of these these big productions. Let's hope so. All right, yeah. so see, see here's why I'm the host. So you've got a race coming up, and you're going to do some cool stuff that you can't talk about with media. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but we don't. We won't worry about that because I, I don't. We haven't even really talked since last year's race. This year's race, May. What, right. Were you surprised? Not at how the race went, but I mean, I heard a lot of, of good comments on the coverage. Not, not, yeah. not to shake my own hand, but no. Were you, you were you surprised? I mean, I was because I don't think I've ever really. Had that many people comment on a race? Yeah. So, so Randy, you should shake your own hand. Um, so after, you know, I've been racing a long time, and one of the things that I think, you know, to 
you know, to, to boast a little bit, but one of the things that I think makes me such an amazing race director and my team such an amazing, like, race staff mm-hmm. is that we do race a lot. Yeah. Um, and we have raced around the world at a high level, and so we, we're always, like, racing, and, and, yeah, we're trying to be competitive, but there's all this little piece of me and, and Dan and Chelsea that's, like, really paying attention to what makes something either an exceptional race or or when when people miss an opportunity when when a race misses an opportunity to make something more exceptional mm. and and I think one of the things we saw early in going to some of the the races in New Zealand is how much of an intention they put into producing high quality media um, even on a fairly low budget yeah. right we can't all be the old primal quests and and egos and that kind of stuff to have this huge corporate backing but you know, there's a lot that can be done with with quality talent um, and and a really focused direction. And so I had some really good conversations, and you know, we had a manager that really started to kind of study how some of these races did things, and not just a single race, yeah. but like pick up pieces from from various places. And I think what what Craig at AR Live Coverage is doing is is great. And then also having an in-house media team that is collaborating with him and, and really feeding him stuff yeah. rather than him just looking at a website. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so we were doing a lot of collaboration. We had, you know, Chip working. He's a great photographer too, but he was mostly working with you and, and um, Jason Cornell and, and some of our other media guys, Scott, and he was processing stuff. Yeah. Like really. And so, um, and then Dan, you know, my teammate, Dan that helped uh, vet the course and, and Chelsea, they would, they would write a bunch of stuff even before the race. So yeah. they were writing the descriptions of stages. So so we had all this stuff ready to go mm-hmm. to, to really explain the race. And and you know, you guys did a great job of capturing some some pretty amazing images and, and some dynamic stories along the way. But yeah, I was I was very happy. Like I was I'm so focused on keeping everybody alive and making sure yeah. everybody gets the transition. So I don't really see any of that stuff at the end. But you know, when we were getting um, comments from from like you know world class famous racers from around the world saying hey I want to come to your race because it looks amazing and the media coverage is top notch I'm just like wow we did something right yeah well I think one of the things that I liked is having having somebody um, that we could send stuff to and then they push it out because that's always you know from yeah. my perspective that's always the hard part is to you know shoot everything, edit everything, and then spend the time pushing it out. But when you can just send it to one right. person, it's like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and and uh, we, you know, I, as much as I love the comments from the, you know, the well-known racers that want to come to our race after the media coverage, also what I love is hearing from somebody, like, I've been following races for 10 years, and this is the first one that made sense, uh, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, because my my parents, Lord knows, have tried to follow every race for the last ten years, and most of the time I get home and they're just like, "We had no idea. Yeah. We're just glad you're alive." Um, and we know it's hard; like it's a hard thing to do. And I think with a lot of race directors, it's it it becomes an afterthought because there's so much that goes into putting on a good event mm-hmm. um, for the racers, and that's really what I'm focused on. I'm just lucky enough to have a team of people that really understand and believe in the power of, of the media to, to spread yeah. the stoke of Yeah. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it again in 2020, even, even bigger. I hope so. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, and you'll be a part of it, right? I'm, it's on the calendar. 
So, I, funny enough, just while I was sitting here, so I'm sitting here waiting because you got kids, no problem. So I'm like, yeah. okay, oh, bike flight. Because here, here's a shocker. Paulette and I are going to be at the same race at C to C, the first time in oh, like 10 yeah. years. <laughs> so, wow. But she's got to go down like two weeks before because she's going to do support for a friend of ours. So I'm like looking up bike yeah. flights. And while I'm doing that, Jeff sends me an email. Hey, you're coming, right? I'm like, damn straight I'm coming. So <laughs> I wouldn't. Fine. I'm uh, really, for me, next year, I'm really looking forward to a bunch of really cool races. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be there. Um, were you surprised last year you had a 100% finish rate? And it was hard. Let's yeah. let's make so, sure people understand. It was really hard. Right. And and this is a great thing. So kind of the – so if I get to talk a little bit now about Expedition Oregon, I won't give yep. too much away. So I have a, I have a pretty unique um, race-directing philosophy that I've, I've kind of really um, developed uh, over the course of many, many years. But one of them is that um, – you know, I want to design a course that, especially with the World Series races, I want to design an expedition course that is a true technical um, and endurance test for the top teams in the world, mm. right? Yep. And at the same time, I want to design a, a expedition that is finishable by much more middle of the pack teams as long as they do their homework and, and have the skills yeah. required. Yeah. Right. And so the way we've done that and we'll continue to do that is, you know, creating a point to point race where it's not like there's a lot of row gain sections like some people have done in the past, mm-hmm. but basically the entire course has a number of checkpoints that are designated and are harder um, that are that are still along the same kind of general expedition route that we call pro points or um I mean, basically, they're for the professional adventure racing teams yeah. that are out there. Um, and they're, it basically allows teams to not miss a whole section by being short course, but to, to miss little tiny pieces of whatever sections they're struggling with yeah. to allow them to further advance in the field. But, you know, the only way you finish one of our races is if you do the whole expedition under your own power. As soon as we transport you, as soon as any of that happens, you're out. Yeah. Right? So really creates any team, even if they're last place and, and finishing having skipped every potential pro point out there, they're still doing this huge expedition that covers hundreds of miles and and links all these features together in a like a, a real multi sport format. Right? Um, which was yeah, you know, I've been trying to do it. Um, I've been trying to basically create that course that was challenging like really challenging for the top teams and, and last year like we had five teams racing for that top spot and it was unrelenting and it took them like it wasn't like they finished days ahead no. um and you know to, to clear the course and, and that and then we had you know a local team that had just started event racing the year before all good athletes all good paddlers um but you know definitely got in the deep end and they from the beginning, they realized that they needed to start skipping these, but they had this huge expedition, and they finished, you know, an hour before the cutoff, yeah. and um, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. Um, so I don't know that I'll get that, that lucky again because 
it was pretty tenacious for some of these teams to not drop out when when uh, things were really tough. And we had a, it was cold. Like let's be honest, yeah. you were there, and that first day of the race when it was blazing hot and you're on top of the mountain and everything feels great, and then you get into the paddling section at night and everything ice is over because it mm-hmm. dropped to 20 degrees. Yeah. I mean, the my only regret of the whole race is that I wasn't at that at that first paddle takeout in the morning because, you know, people oh, yeah. people were coming out, you know, completely iced over. Completely iced over, like full-on ice beards. And, yeah. um, you know, so that's that's one of the things that we're, you know, we're pretty proud of and, and that we do a little differently. Um, the other one is that um, I'm – Based on my background and what I love about racing and expeditions is is the technicality and having these these skills that are required. And again, you know, I, I've learned a lot from, from a lot of races, but but particularly some of the the ones I've done down in New Zealand um, because the sport is so thrifty down there. And I remember doing a race where there was a big whitewater section, and they told us about it, told us about it, told us about it. And our team, we love whitewater. We trained, you know, Steve and the uh, – like, we just did a lot of work to, to get ready for it. And at the closing ceremony, we find out that something like 80% of the teams, like, totally, you know, flipped and had to get rescued and had to get some sort of, like, assistance in that, in that section. Huh. The 80% of the team, which yeah. is crazy. Um, and the race director was – not happy. And so he basically, like, in the middle of the awards ceremony, he gave a huge dressing down to the, like, the entire <laughs> New Zealand and international air community that was there. He's like, what's wrong with you people? Like, I told my guides, you know, and my safety staff that you guys were all competent and the air races were amazing. And then you come into this race that says class four paddling with class two skills. Yeah. And he's like, we had to rescue most of you. Huh. And he's like, this is unacceptable. Like, if you were to do an actual expedition like this, you just died or you just, like, lost all your gear and had to get helicopter rescued. And and so in his speech, you know, he wasn't mean. And he kind of laughed about it and was like, this is this is not acceptable in the future in, in our races. Like, if, if we have technical skills required, yeah. you need to have them. Yeah. And so I really took that to heart. And we don't want to shy away from that. So... You know, last year we had the, the technical rock climbing, yeah. and if and we told teams plenty of time in advance, like you need to be able to do this. And the few teams that didn't have the skills, they just weren't allowed to continue and to get that checkpoint. Yeah. Um, and it'll be the same thing seen this year. So when we put out the newsletters for those of you that are racing Expedition Oregon, like pay attention and do the work. Yeah, right. That's why you're in this sport because you want to learn new things and push your limits. And it's more than just mountain biking and trekking and paddling a canoe. Yeah. Like our races are unapologetically difficult and technical. So, you know, yeah. learn stuff. Yeah. Words, words, wise words. <laughs> Listen, people. Yeah. Did and if, we tell you, if we tell you that you might have to carry your bike on your pack raft, I would figure out how to do that before you show up to the race. Yep. <laughs> Not that that's going to happen, but... but yeah, I mean, uh, if people should know by now if you suggest something that they should be listening to you. Mm-hmm. So, was it was it hard to make the decision to have the the technical climbing and hard to put it together? And was there pushback? How did I mean? There was definitely some some pushback in the like in the racer community. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest, like, like oh, I don't have climbing shoes or I don't. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but like my, you know, my my first love before expedition racing was expedition climbing. Yeah. Um, I love the mountains, and one of the, you know, some of the defining moments. A lot of the when I got into racing, races still had like budgets, and they were big, mm-hmm. you know. So I did the 2006 Primal Quest when we're ascending Castleton Tower and zip lining across like thousands of feet to this other thing and like ascending waterfalls and um, like you had to know your stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, in recent years, a lot of that's gone away. Like races have turned into kind of endurance suffer fests, which are amazing. And I love that part of it, but without a lot of, of technical um, skills, yeah. you know, and then occasionally, you know, there's, there's races where, uh, like the Ecuador World Championships, which is a pretty amazing race, but like they sent us down this super long whitewater section and there was a number of class fours and you're in sit on top kayaks, yeah. which basically doesn't matter how good you are. It's like not the right boat for that thing. Um, and so there was just carnage and broken paddles and, and like they were rescuing all kinds of people, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it was just kind of one of those things that, that starts to bridge the gap. And I, I want to be super honest. And nobody was prepared for it in that one because it wasn't advertised, you know. Yeah. Um, and so as long as I am really upfront um, with racers, um, and, you know, we're not, we're not going crazy here. These are all skills that 10 years ago or, or 15 years ago were, were part of what was the, the expedition adventure racers necessary skill set. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and and now the sport has has lost a bit of that. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I've done a ton of races, and rarely have I been to a race that requires um, that you know the kind of technicality that, that I'm putting in my races. Yeah. Not that they're not out there. I think I think Reunion Island had some pretty intense stuff, and um, there are definitely some some race organizations out there that are still doing this. But I think they're they're a little fewer um, than there were you know, 15 years ago. So I want to be part of, of bringing that back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like that, that definitely there was, I, I'm lucky that, that Bend is such a climbing town and we have such an amazing staff. Like if the, if the racers think that that three pitch amazing at the climb in last race, last year's expedition Oregon was tough. Like imagine <laughs> my staff that, um, is forever to be like in their legends in my mind for being out there for 36 hours yep. hanging on the side of that wall. Yep. And they weren't doing anything for you. They were keeping you safe. They got cold. Like they were sleep deprived. It was, it was amazing. And then once we closed that site, they still had hours of, of takedown yeah. and to hide out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the racers had it easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, come on. We all know that they're a bunch of wussies and, you know, they should be behind the scenes where the tough guys are. Yeah, yeah the behind the scenes. That's right. That's that's. Uh, racing was too easy, Andy. And now you're now you have to you have to make it look good and carry heavier. Yeah, you know, and, and walk backwards while it's right. filming. Exactly. Yeah, so I get it. Yeah, I'm going to start wearing high heels just to make it a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know you won't give anything away, but tell me everything about next year. <laughs> I mean, there's always, I I try to really design courses that that use, you know, use the area. Um, So I'm not putting in rope sections unless they make sense Mm -hmm. and and that kind of stuff, unless they're unique. Um, I really, you know, and I know it's a part of the sport, so I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing it, but but 
when I have the choice to design a course, I really want to shy away from like you get to the bottom of the cliff, you hike to the top of the cliff, you rappel off the cliff back to where you were and yeah. you go do something. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, if you can hike to the top of the cliff, then, then that's great. Um, but then like the, the spire we had last year, like the only way to get there is to climb a three-pitch route. And then you're at this amazing, iconic spire in the middle of Smith Rock Group. Um, and the bike rappel the first year was like the trail went to the top of the cliff and 300 feet below it was another trail. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that, that made the most sense to get down there. Um, so, you know, without giving too much away, um, there, the next year's course is still in development. There will be some pretty amazing, uh, whitewater sections, um, and potentially some opportunities to, uh, carry your bike on your boat. Um, potentially some opportunities to repel, uh, with your boat to get from one water feature to another. Um, you can imagine why that might be necessary. Mm -hmm. So we haven't kind of finalized some of the rope work and we want to make sure it makes sense. Um, like we don't want to put a repel in if it would be way, way easier to just walk around. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we definitely love the versatility of pack rafts and what you can do with them. Um, I've been doing a lot of bike rafting. I actually broke my ribs right before the, the race that shall not be named, um, doing a vetting for another course, not the 2020 event, but uh, which was class four with a bike on the front of my boat. And it um, didn't slip, but broke some ribs. Um, so, you know, we don't necessarily want to do anything quite that extreme. Um, honestly, in the climbing or pack rafting realm, if I test it and it scares me, it usually doesn't make it into a race. Um, if I, if I test it and I'm laughing and like giddy and excited the whole time and, and, um, if Chelsea's, you know, Chelsea's pretty, she's, Chelsea's the more amazing boater of the two of us, but she's also very, she was a guy for 10 years. So I always take her down and everything. And she's like, no, if she doesn't want to do safety for it, I don't put it in a race. If she's fine doing safety for it, then, then it usually goes in. Um, so we've, you know, we definitely have some, uh, some plans. It's been great. We're, we're in a brand new area that's really, really remote and we've got some great support from, from all the land, the BLM and the Forest Service. So it's going to be the biggest, um, biggest expedition field course that I've ever, I've ever put on. So I'm just having so much fun. <laughs> like we're, we're about to go do, uh, on Sunday, I'm going to go out with, um, Dan and Steven, um, the Ben Racing teammates and we're going to, do one of the bike sections and we will probably according to the rangers be the first person first people ever to mountain bike this 35 mile trail very cool um i don't know if that means it's gonna be good mountain biking but um it's gonna be adventurous yeah well that's true yeah i mean <clears throat> you don't need to go through a bike park yeah it, right you can if it's in the, in the way if it's there you yeah. know we've got some amazing amazing biking here but this uh, this this year's race has been really about returning to um, kind of my roots and, and putting together a huge expedition course that is something that um, that I just want to see is is possible. So it's as much, you know, honestly, the courses I design are as much for me um, and my wife and and my teammates to explore and to train for other races, and then they just happen to be, you know, perfect playgrounds yeah. for us to invite other people yeah. to come and test them out. Um. Just, just one more question about this year's race. Was there any part of the course that surprised you? That the racers surprised you by doing something weird, or 
you know, someplace that was harder or easier than you thought? Um, yeah, like I was, I was, so in this, in the, in the, the 2019 version, there was a fairly extensive lava trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've lived here for a while and I love the lava. I've used it in, in a number of like 24 and 36 hour races. Um, but I, I, I was surprised at hearing some really, really experienced racers, um, which have probably been on this podcast, um, you know, finish and, and like be telling these stories about how it was, it was the most dangerous thing they'd ever done. And like, they almost died. And, um, I was like, wow, you know, like I, yeah, the lava is super sharp and it's unstable and you gotta go slow. I don't know if they were trying to like run over it, um, or, or like jump from one thing to another, but like I heard a number of, a number of racers yeah. and you know, it wasn't the part that I was, Concerned, I was concerned about the class three Whitewater Canyon, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And then, um, it's the lava field, huh? Um, so that was, you know, that was, that was one of them. Um, and, you know, I was like, the navigation, like some of the top teams navigated so, so well, um, which was really exciting to see because we had some pretty tough, um, tough nav sections out there. Um, and then, you know, there's always the, there were two lovely. There were three lovely teams that got got. Uh, I guess not not short. Sure, they had dark zone, so they they were not off the river in time, and so they ended up having to spend the spend the night at this midway point. Mm-hmm. And they were all like really wanting to be full course, you know, and full course teams. And one of them was um, really experienced in New England, who's raced a lot, and they yeah. just made a there early on, so they'd fallen back, and they were now charging ahead. But they all got stuck there, and I remember going and talking to them at this little um, riverside park where they were allowed to camp. Yeah. So they only they could stay. And, um, you know, they all still had the time if they really pushed to clear the full course. And, and I remember having a conversation with them. Yeah, it's going to be a cold night. You don't have, you know, a tent because it wasn't mandatory for your legs. So you guys are going to kind of have to huddle up and shiver. But if you want to finish, you know, and you want to get to all the, all the next sections, you've got to get on the water at 6 a.m. Yeah. And it's like, and they're all like, yeah, 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 okay, we're gonna get on the water at 6 a.m. No problem, 6 a.m. I was like, and I'm sitting there talking to them, so that probably means when you're cold and tired, you should wake up at 3:30. Yeah. Right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And you know, so we, I go back and and we're watching the tracking. We're, we're the next morning. We're like, what? Why is it, the tracking just not working? And it turns out that on New England, 6:01, they push off. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they, it just kind of shows their experience. Yeah. Like they weren't having the race that they wanted, but they've they've been dialed in. And, and there were these two other teams that were were amazing, but I think are just younger teams. Mm-hmm. And, and but they didn't put on the water till after eight o'clock. Yeah, you know, and it gets light at like five forty-five. Yeah, and I'm just wondering, you know, what they're doing. And then they were, you know, they were bummed to not get to the climb site in time and and have to have to kind of you know, short or, or skip some of the pro points. Um, but having based for so long, I kind of have forgotten like that, that part of it. Yeah. Like, like Chelsea always wakes me up three hours ahead of time. Um, and you know, she lets me sleep at all. And it's like, if we're not you know, on in the boats at the time when the dark zone lifts or a cutoff lifts or, or whatever, um, you know, it's just not like, yeah. that's not why we're there. We're not there to sleep extra and shiver. Yeah. Um, well, and so I think, yeah, you know, it was, it was those things, but, um, I was, you know, I was super, we get really lucky. I think partly because I, you know, I know a lot of these races and raced a lot. Like we had 
we had a pretty amazing field last year. Yeah. Like uh, it was, it was a stacked, super stacked field, um, especially for an American race where we had some really, really top teams, a lot of really good teams all racing against each other, which was really fun to see. Yeah. Um, what do you think next year going to be as competitive? I mean, I can, so this is a good, good point. If anybody's made it to this, this point in the podcast, they will. Um, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> It's we're, we only have like basically we're sold out. Yeah. Um, and you know I, I wish that I could have a bigger field, but because of the nature of the races that we like to put on for Expedition Oregon, we we cap the size. Like I'm I'm willing to do more exciting and and technical sessions when I feel like I can be in control of of how many people are out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm not yet at the point of having you know. 60 or 70 teams and feeling like I can logistically support that. Um, so yeah, we have, we have a 25 team limit. And, um, if you're, you know, I, I have, I have a few spots if you ask me nicely, but I think there's only one, you know, one general entry spot left. And I can tell you that, that, um, we have a number of the, you know, the top 10 teams in the world coming, um, which is super exciting. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's great. Like I'm, I'm already looking at the list and saying, whoa, these guys could pull it off. These guys could pull it off. These guys could pull it off. We have a number of like a whole bunch of the races that have been on the podium before coming back. Um, a a lot of races that have just missed out on the podium coming back. Um, I'm, you know, I I can tell we're doing something right because we have a a lot of teams that are coming back for their third time. That's, Um, yeah, that says a lot. And, and, you know, like, it's still Central Oregon, so it's not like we're going, like, it's a new new area, but, like, um, you know, I, I get the idea that it's fun to adventure race in areas you've never been to, but I'm I'm really blessed and, and honored that there's a lot of teams that are choosing to come back again for the third time to Central Oregon and race, and, you know, and, and that just tells me that, that uh, you know, at least those people are really kind of uh, enjoying the style of, of race. Yeah. Um, game style race that I, I would enjoy racing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, we're not going to announce the team list until, um, until probably the, the first of December, but it's a great team list so far. Um, we've got teams, there are athletes from about 10 countries so far. And, and, uh, yeah, there is still a little bit of room. So if you're listening to this, you should, uh, yeah. uh, come together and, and come race. Um, cause we're not doing it next year, I'm taking a year off. That um, seems like a smart way to do it to me because yeah. you'll just get fried if you try to do it every yeah. year, right? And, and you know, three years in a row is great. We'll probably start doing it on a two years in a row, one year off. Yeah, um, I'm still super interested in, in racing at a high level. I need to get an, another hip. So, like, my new hip is great. I need to get a, an, another new hip to the <laughs> other side. Um, and, you know, so there's, there's a lot of uh, – I'm really trying to get um, USARA Nationals to come out here. Yep. Saw that. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. I'm kind of uh, disappointed that, um, you know, it really, USARA itself, I think, is is doing some pretty cool things, but it's definitely not a national series. No. Um, you know, I just got to say congratulations to Quest. Like, they don't do any of the, like, it was pretty awesome that, that my my good friends and, and like, they're, they're, like, the other local badass team that they – you know, props to everybody that raised nationals, but man, 
these guys from the Pacific Northwest that don't race on the East Coast at all just went out there and smashed it. They did. Um, and, and they did. Like, and I've, I've raced against Dusty and Brent, and, and they're phenomenal. And, you know, they're nowhere in the rankings because they don't do any of the USA races. But I just want to see more of of that so that we get some of these West Coast. And we have a number that come and race our, our local races, like Team Castelli, um, around a band. Like, there's all these teams that have never gone to nationals that are probably among the top 20 teams in the nation just because they're out here racing our races and racing quest races and um, like really top event racing teams. But just there's not there's not a lot of incentive or or opportunity, you know, for them to be part of a series yeah. that, that 95% of the races are, are you know, east of Colorado. Yeah, that, that well, I mean, there's a lot of racers there too. And, you know, yeah. it, it's, so, you we know, got to get mean, things I, moving in a different direction like west. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just excited to be, you know, working. And, and I've had some great conversations with Troy, and, like, I'm just really excited to kind of get back into the – and host some USARA races and and really try to, you know, instead of, like, being the grumbly guy from the outside that says, you know, the national system sucks right now, to to work and, you know, to work as much as I can from the inside and be part of the, the positive change. Because I love the sport, and, you know, I think with the ARC, the Event Racing Collective – by Marco Tanzi and and with USARA and and there's a lot of potential, especially with this unnamed show that's going to come out yep. um, to kind of uh, galvanize a, a yeah. new um, a new group. So yeah, all right, we'll start to wrap this up. So I got two things, but we all know that that more. So what are your guys' racing plans? So we are. Um, uh, Chelsea and I are going to race uh, probably with Stephen and Dan, and we're not sure the exact team. We're going to race the new demonstration race in Canada. Yeah. Um, so don't get, if you if you want to do Expedition Oregon and, and apply, and, and we're sold out by the time you apply, you should go do that race. Yeah. Um, about two weeks later, it's in Penticton. So, um, so that's we're going to go do that since it's close to us, and you know we obviously don't get the I don't let any of if our local guys race our race, um, they'll have to help me. So that's kind of fun. Yep. So we'll get to go do that. And then right now we're planning on world championships. We haven't done a world championship since twenty since Wyoming, 2017. So it's about, about time. Yep. And then maybe, you know, November is a tough choice because it's Patagonia or God Zone. Yeah, that's going to be – yeah. Pick your poison. <laughs> Part of me really wants to see Eastwind win Patagonia, um, but if I go there, I'm going to try to beat them. Yeah. Not saying that I would beat them, but um, you know, uh, it just you know, I'd love to like if I don't go, I'd love to hear that they win. Um, and God's Own obviously is, a, is an amazing race too. So, um, and then you know, the, the big question is like, we can make all these plans, but realistically, if, if the, the unnamed race comes back. Then there's, um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to want to go there, and and I know Chelsea. You know, Chelsea had to um, to stay home in this last one yep. um, with a two week old, so she's she'd be raring to go back um, or, or to, to get a chance to go. So, you know, but for sure we're doing the Canadian race and we're going to do Worlds. So that's kind of our plan so far. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah. I'm uh, excited about Canada. I've uh, I've thrown my hat in the proverbial Canadian ring, so. We'll see what happens there too. Cool. Yeah, it'd be it'd be great to see you there as a uh, 
competitor because I'll get to see you two weeks, you know. Yeah. I'll get the, uh, essentially your your boss, not really. Jay yeah. will be your boss. Well, you, if, you don't really have a boss, yeah. though. Like you're, you're kind of outside of that. Yeah, but if you were racing, I might actually see you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay. So the last question. So this is this is my Thanksgiving episode. So this will be Ooh. people will be listening to this the day before Thanksgiving. Do you guys have a family tradition yet with the kids? Um. I guess uh, I'm gonna. Chelsea's sitting behind me in this in this uh, interview. I mean, Thanksgiving we uh, Chelsea loves to get outside okay. um, and have some sort of a a ride or a I don't know some some reason to get muddy, mm-hmm. right? Which is awesome because usually if you're bike riding, the trails are a little bit wet from melting snow. And, um, so so last year, you know, we definitely got got muddy with Max, and so I think we'll. We'll do that um, again with Rebel, and then our biggest thing is just you know, whether it's turkey or, or not, just having kind of a community dinner. Yeah. We're, we're lucky to be surrounded with so many of our our teammates and and friends and and fellow acrobats and all that stuff from from various walks of our life in this same little neighborhood. So we usually have some sort of just you know it's it's really the best way I think to give thanks is is not even verbally talk about it but just to, to be hanging out with people that you appreciate and and uh, all sharing you know a meal glass of wine and, and some conversation so that's you know it's really just a, a chill a chill day with some outdoor playing and uh celebration cool that does that sounds fine to me i gotta go yeah. shoot, i i get back from mexico the day before and then gotta go shoot pictures of a thousand runners but then it's like all right let's go have some turkey well you're keeping you're keeping busy and and uh you know, you're doing a great service to all of us uh, that are out there uh, loving the sport. So it's nice to have. You know, I got to say that, that uh, uh, whether you whether you know it or not, but there were you know there are a few people on my media team that were were skeptical because they'd never really worked with legendary Randy Erickson, yeah. and I'd never worked with you from behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but uh, everybody at the end of the race was was very very impressed with your work. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to have you back, um, and yeah, excited to have you and your drone and your um, photography and all that stuff. It's gonna be and it's gonna be great. Hey, I'm coming to see not only you guys who are on my list of favorite people, but like this whole race of people that I like. So, oh, it's it's yeah, it's gonna be amazing, and uh, yeah, we're, we're it's gonna be quite. Uh, just wait till uh, it won't be until spring, but man, when you get the media map, you guys are gonna be covering some. Serious ground. Cool. So, so in some pretty wild areas. So, all right. Cool. I'm, thanks, I'm looking forward to it. So, all right. Well, thanks for your time, and uh, tell the kids thank you for letting. Well, tell the kids thank you for not being noisy. I didn't even know there were any. Yeah, nah. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll be noisy. <laughs> Super early in the morning, so don't worry. Okay. All right. Thanks. Right. Thanks so much, Randy. All right. Bye. All right. like you might have heard this before. (laughs) I know I have. That's because this song is called Alice's Restaurant. (laughs) 
about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's restaurant was never the name of a restaurant. That was always the name of the song, which is why I still call it Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Well, it all started about 40 Thanksgivings ago. 40 years ago on Thanksgiving, when my friend and I decided to go up and visit Alice at the restaurant. But Alice didn't used to live in the restaurant. She used to live in the church nearby the restaurant, in the bell tower, with her husband Ray and Fotch of the dog. And living in the bell tower like that, they used to have a lot of room downstairs where the pews used to be. And seeing as how they took out all of the pews and having all that room, they decided that they didn't have to take out their garbage for a long time. We got up there, found the place was filled with garbage, and we decided it'd be a friendly gesture for us to take the garbage down to the town dump. So we took the half a ton of garbage, put it in the back of a red VW microbus, took shovels and rakes and implements of destruction and headed on toward the town dump. We got there. There was a sign, a chain across the road saying, Closed on Thanksgiving. And we had never heard of a dump being closed on Thanksgiving before. So with tears in our eyes, we drove off into the sunset, looking for another place to put the garbage. And we didn't find one. Till we come to a side road, and off of the side of the side road, there was a 15-foot cliff, and at the bottom of the cliff, there was another pile of garbage. And we decided that one big pile would be better than two little ones. And rather than bring that one up, we decided to throw ours down. And that's what we did. Drove back to the church, had a Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat, went to sleep and didn't get up until the next morning when we got a phone call from Officer Ruby. He said, kid, uh, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage. Wanted to know if you had any information about it. And I said, yes, sir, Officer Roby. I cannot tell a lie. I, I put that envelope under that garbage. So after talking to Obi for about 45 minutes on the telephone that we finally arrived at the truth of the matter, and Obi said we had to go down, pick up the garbage. We also had to go down and talk to him at the police officer station. Now, friends, there was only one of two things that Obi could have done at the police officer station. And the first thing was he could have given us a medal for being so brave and honest over the telephone, which wasn't very likely. We didn't expect it. And, of course, the other possibility was that well, he could have bawled us out and told us never to be seen driving garbage around the vicinity again, which is what we expected. But when we got to the police officer station, there was a third possibility that we hadn't counted on, and we was both immediately arrested, handcuffed. And I said, Obi, 
I don't think I can pick up the garbage with these handcuffs on. He says, shut up, kid. Get in the back of the patrol car. And we sat in the back of the patrol car and drove to the, quote, scene of the crime, unquote. Now, friends, I want to tell you about the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where this was happening. They got three stop signs, two police officers, and one police car. But when we got to the scene of the crime, there was five police officers and three police cars being the biggest crime of the last 50 years, and everybody wanted to get in the newspaper story about it. And they was using up all kinds of cop equipment they had hanging around the police officer station. They was taking plaster tire tracks, footprints, dog-smelling prints, and they took 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. They took pictures of the approach, the getaway, the northwest corner, the southwest corner, and that's not to mention the aerial photography. And it was after the ordeal we went back to the jail Obi said he's going to put us in a cell. He said, kid, I'm going to put you in a cell. Give me a wallet and your belt. And I said, Obi, I can understand you wanting my wallet, so I don't have any money to spend in the cell. But what do you want my belt for? He said, kid, we don't want any hanging. And I said, Obi, did you think I was going to hang myself for littering? Obi said he was making sure, and friends Obi was, because he took out the toilet seat so I couldn't hit myself over the head and drown. <laughs> took out the toilet paper so I couldn't bend the bars, roll the toilet paper out the window, slide down the roll, having to skate and get away. Obi was making sure, all right, and it was about four or five hours later that Alice... Remember, Alice? This is still the song about Alice. She combined with a few nasty words to Obi on the side. She bailed us out of jail. We went back to the church, had another Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat. Went to sleep and didn't get up until the next morning when we all had to go to court. We walked in, sat down. Obi come in with the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us and he sat down. A man come in, he said, all rise, and we stood up and Obi stood up with the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures and the judge walked in with a CNI dog. We sat down. Obi looked at the CNI dog, and then at the 27 8 by 10 color glossy pictures with the circles and arrows, and looked at the CNI dog. And Obi began to cry, because Obi came to the realization that this was a typical case of American blind justice. And there's no way the judge was going to look at the 27 8 by 10 colored bell, it didn't matter. Because <laughs> we was fined $25 each, and we had to pick up the garbage in the snow. Of course, that's not what I come to talk about or nothing. Just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> thought I'd talk a little bit about the draft. Now, a lot of people think that's just from years ago. But tell that to the guys who've been called back after all that time. <laughs> yep. 
Not only that, they still got that building over in New York City and others like it all across America. And that's where you used to have to go in, get injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected. I remember I had to go in there one morning a long time ago for my physical examination. So I got good and drunk the night before. Because I wanted to feel my best when I went in that morning. I mean, I wanted to feel, I wanted to look, I wanted to be like the all-American kid. When I went in that morning, I was hung down, I was brung down, I was hung up, I was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking things. I walked in, I sat down. They gave me a piece of paper, said, kid, see the psychiatrist, room 604. I went in there, I, I said, shrink, I, I want to kill. Yeah, I, I want to kill. Want to see blood and gore and guts and veins in my TV, dead bird bodies? I mean, kill, kill. And I started jumping up and down, young and kill, kill. And he started jumping up and down with me. And we was both jumping up and down, young and kill, 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 kill. Till the sergeant come over, pinned a medal on me, sent me down the hall saying, you're our boy. I didn't feel real good about it. But I proceeded on down the hall, getting more injections, inspections, and all kinds of stuff that they was doing to me at the thing there. And I was there for two, three, four, five hours. I was there for a long time, going through all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. They was inspecting, injecting every single part of me. And they was leaving no parts untouched. But I proceeded through until I finally come to see the very last man. I walked up, I said, what do you want to see me about? He said, kid, we only have one more question. Have you ever been arrested? I told him the story of the Alice's Restaurant Massacre with five-part harmony poem orchestration. He stopped me right there. He said, kid, did you go to court? I told him the story of the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and arrows. He stopped me again. He said, kid, I want you to go over, sit down on that bench that says Group W. Now, kid. Group W. Group W was where they used to put you if you might not have been moral enough to join the army. <laughs> After committing your special crime, there was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking people on the bench. I mean, there was mother rapers, father stabbers, father rapers. There was Father Raper sitting there on the bench next to me. I mean, these was mean, nasty, ugly, horrible, crime-fighting guys. And the meanest, ugliest, nastiest, the meanest Father Raper of them all was coming over to me, and he sat down next to me and said, Kid, what'd you get? I said, I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $25 and pick up the garbage. 
He said, kid, what was you arrested for? I said, let her in. And they all moved away from me on the bench there. Till I said, and creating a nuisance. <laughs> and then they all come back and shook my hand. We had a great time on the bench talking about crime, mother stabbing, father raping, who's smoking cigarettes, all kinds of stuff, having a good time. Till the sergeant come over. He had some paper in his hand. He held it up. He went like this. He said, Kids and speech, baby, got 37 words for them, sex ass. Want to know time, the crime, detail, the crime, you gotta say, pretend, tune about the crime. The rest of the officer's name, kind of thing, you gotta say. And he talked for 45 minutes, and nobody understood a word he said. But we had fun filling out the forms and playing with the pencils on the bench. I wrote down the massacre like I was supposed to, and I put down my pencil. Turned over the piece of paper. And there on the other side of that piece of paper, away from everything else on the other side, I mean underlined and capitalized, read the following words. Kid, have you rehabilitated yourself? I went over to the sergeant. I said, Sergeant, you got a lot of gall to ask me if I've rehabilitated myself. I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here on the group W bench because you want to know if I'm moral enough to join the army, burn women, kids, houses, children, villages after being a litter bug. He said, kid, we don't like your kind. Uh, we're going to send your fingerprints off to Washington. And friends, somewhere in Washington, enshrined in a little folder, is a study in black and white of my fingerprints. <laughs> the only reason I'm singing you the song tonight is because you may know somebody in a similar situation sometime. <laughs> I mean, even some of you can be in something like this sometime sooner than you're sitting here thinking about right now. If you ever find yourself in something like that, you don't know what to do. Well, there may be only one thing you can do. Actually, there may not be anything you can do. <laughs> but there's something you can try. And that's to be wherever it is you're supposed to be. I mean, you go in there, you sit down, you wait your turn. And when you get a chance, you stand up, you go something like this, you say, Oh, shrink! Excuse me, man, but uh, you can get anything you want. Alice's restaurant and walk out. I mean, imagine one person even today walking in, singing some Alice's restaurant and walking out. They're going to say, hey, that guy's 40 years too late. Get that guy out of here. <laughs> imagine two of them walking in, hand in hand, <laughs> singing in harmony. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the policy is, but I guess if you tell them, you ain't going. <laughs> Imagine 50, maybe 50 people a day going in, singing some Alice's Restaurant, walking out. Friends, they might think it's a movement. And most of them be too young to know what a movement was. <laughs> but that's what it was. It was the Alice's Restaurant Anti-Massacre Movement. That's what it was, that's what it is, and I guess that's what it's always going to be. All you've got to do to join is to sing it with me as it comes around again on the guitar. With feeling. 
You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. You can't start singing louder just at the end. You would have thought after all this time, you would have learned by now. You want to end war and stuff, you've got to learn to sing loud all the time so people can hear you. <laughs> now, I, I know this is a long song. Believe me. But it could be longer. I'm still not proud or tired. Of course, I remember when I was a little kid, I started writing my songs. My dad took me aside one time and said, Arlo, you know, if you can't be great, it's better to be long. I'm still thinking about that. Anyway, when it comes around again, maybe you can help me out. Here it comes. You can't get anything that's better at Alice's Rest, except in Alice. You can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. You can't get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Thank you so much.